The Swamp Without a Still is just a tent, a martini without olives doesn't quite make it, and Mash Minute is intended for mature audiences. Put on your headphones, listen for the tone of your favorite podcast, Mash Minute. Well, it's a minute-by-minute detailed analysis of the movie without which the series wouldn't exist. Megan and Tierney, and guest will make three. Goddamn army, Mash Minute. Welcome back to Mash Minute, that fabulous podcast that analyzes the 1970 film Mash one, basically Star Trek minute at a time. <laughs> I'm Tierney Steele. I'm Megan Coleman. And I'm Heidi Bennett of Vibrant Visionaries. You may be a little confused. What could MASH and Star Trek possibly have in common, you say? Well, here in Minute 11, we are introduced to about half the cast, as Hawkeye and Duke are introduced to them. The minute starts with Henry ignoring his new surgeon's drunkenness, and it ends with a punchline that I don't want to ruin. But in between, we get to meet (laughs) Father Mulcave, Painless Pole, Ugly John, and Captain Bardini. Is it Captain Bardini? Yes, I've decided it is, even though <laughs> Bardini and Merhart keep getting switched <laughs> in my notes. <laughs> so at one point, I clearly did not know who was who, but I looked up pictures of people to confirm, and I feel much more confident. Tierney from the future here. I said that with such authority, didn't I? I really sound confident that his name is Bardini, and I think my problem is that I'm mixing him up with Merhart. But... Dear listeners, my problem is that Bardini is Bandini. And in my defense, I'm not the only person that makes this mistake. The closed captioning actually switches it a couple times too. It is officially Bandini. I'm also going to mix up Merhart with some other people and be like, who could that be? And it's Captain Merhart. This is an Altman movie. Everyone's mumbling. I'm real sorry about that. Anyway, back to the show. Two of these actors appeared in Star Trek. Like a lot And then have other connections, too, which is where that joke comes from. But before I go lead us into space. (laughs) Are we coming back down to Earth? Yes, we're coming back down to Earth while Blake is talked over by someone new other than Radar. Shocking. Heidi, how does where where is Hawkeye now on our scale? Because he is referring to girls and the blonde one over there. Yeah, it's it's degrading this last <laughs> minute for sure. <laughs> he was doing so well, and yet he had to go and be a guy. He treated one woman as a person in her own right. <laughs> yeah, Hawkeye basically picks out his nursing team while Blake tries to tell a story. This is going to happen a couple times where Blake clearly has a story that he is used to being able to tell, and he just never never gets there <laughs> yeah this is the true altman minute for me you know the, the talking <laughs> over so much talking over which is yeah i'm so relieved to now be looking at this minute with the mute button on so I 
not hear all that. And captioning, having captioning is a good thing. It's very much a good thing. (laughs) Although I found I picked up on so much more. I went through and wrote out the summaries looking at the captioning. But just now I had it playing and my head was turned away from my computer. And I was picking up so much more of like what Duke is saying. And the fact that he says, I'm Bardini. And... (laughs) Future Tierney. Obviously, he didn't say I'm Bardini. He said I'm Bandini. Yeah, sorry. Bye. Things like that that aren't captured. The captioning is just, you know, brackets all chattering or all talking or something like that. Right. Which, hey, you know what? If you're doing the close captioning for a Robert Altman movie, good on you. Like, (laughs) you've done your best. And I am not... I'm not saying that you didn't do a good job. I'm just saying. I clearly have watched way too many French movies lately in which I need the captioning on. Oops. That's okay. It's all Uh, good. My favorite thing is that, so Blake calls over Father Mulcahy, which is what starts this. And I've always thought it was very charming. Like he has the rosary beads wrapped around his hand, which he like awkwardly takes off to shake Hawkeye's hand. I was so nervous. This is our first minute where I'm like, oh, crap. We're going to have to talk about this, aren't we? Okay, people already come with their nicknames. Right. This doesn't stop me from having to feel awkward talking about them, but it makes me feel better that this is not something that Duke and Hawkeye came up with. Father Mulcahy is already nicknamed Dago Red. Captain Waldowski is already the Painless Pole. Uh, Captain Black is already Ugly John. They all... They've all been here for a while already. They already have their cool mash nicknames. Because <laughs> they're the, you know, Hawkeye and Duke are the, the new kids on the block, right? But mm-hmm. I'm not going to bleep Dago Red unless, Megan, you have a horrible objection to that. No, or, no. Or, um, it, it is inappropriate. It is a slur. But the, the full term is actually referring to a type of wine. So, see, we can just pretend it's that, right? Awkward shifting eyes. Um. <laughs> well, the thing, too, is I do think it is it is important to look at context. And, I mean, I worked at places that were, like, I used to work in a warehouse. And while nobody was referred to as Dago Red there, there are definitely old schoolers at the warehouse that had long-time nicknames that, it was just their nicknames. It wasn't a big PC argument, you know? It was just like, this is my nickname. These are things that at a certain point, you know, in certain context, it was just that. It didn't have any negative connotation. So, you know, I think it's important to look at that too, just historically, like it's just not big of a deal. Yeah. And I also think there is a, there are levels of madness. <laughs> and this is not as bad as it can get. Exactly. This is not good. I am certainly not saying that. But this is not that bad for people who don't know. It's a pejorative term for originally people of Italian descent, which is why it got associated with cheap red wine at Italian restaurants, Deco Red. He is a priest, Catholic. Pope, Italy, communion wine. Ta-da! And now we're here. (laughs) Now we're here. (laughs) Where we have a character who refers to himself that way. (laughs) I really want to know who gave him this nickname or how it came across because nothing in his portrayal of this character makes me think that he came up with that himself. No, somebody had to have given it to him. 
and it's a French actor playing an Irish character. (laughs) So I'm just very curious. And for those wondering, Wine Spectator will no longer use that term. (laughs) (laughs) Except to explain where it came from. (laughs) Thank you for letting me do research that involved reading Wine Spectator, by the way. (laughs) Ta-da! So this is... uh, Heidi, would you like to tell us who this is portraying Father Mulcahy? René Abergenois. Oh. <laughs> Which is so better so than fancy. me going, Oh, Tierney. That's all I got. <laughs> well, I am a big Odo head over here, so... I kind of crush on Renee, and it's nice to see him in this young, you know, apple cheeked sort of (laughs) smiling and glad handing. It's pretty cute, I think. Not quite as stoic as Odo. (laughs) He's just adorable. I. I have a soft spot from watching 11 years worth of Father Mulcahy on the TV show. But even in the movie, he's just so endearing. He's just so charming in his own cute way. Mm-hmm. And he's such a counterpoint to Hawkeye and Diego in some way. I mean, Diego. Uh. Oh! oh, God, Duke. Sorry. Oh. Sorry, buddy. I have a six-month-old who hates sleep at home. It's a good time. <laughs> you might hear her in the background right now. It's, he's a nice counterpoint to Hawkeye and Duke in like womanizing his way because he's just not, you know, he's a priest. Yeah. And, you know, he's not your typical priest, clearly, but... Um, he is in some ways, but... Well, he gets along with everyone. He gets along with everyone. And how can you not love somebody like that? He was one of the actors who was offered to reprise his role in the TV show and turned it down. But it's okay because that means we get to have two wonderful Father Mulcahy's. I'm just scrolling through really quickly to see if I had any... Oh! How could I forget this trivia? <laughs> From the IMDb trivia section, my favorite questionable resource. His mother was a princess. Say what? Straight up. Did they did they say what her name was? His mother was Princess it's not Lori. I'm sure there's a French pronunciation. Louise Napoleon Eugenie Caroline Marat. Marat? Whatever. The artist. <laughs> or like the artist. Uh, she was born in November 30th. He has a fascinating family tree. I really need to see it in tree form though to do it justice. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of glanced around at his history and everything, and I thought it was pretty interesting. But this isn't the first time y'all have will be talking about him, so maybe you can do some more deep research yes. for a different minute. <laughs> I need some red string and some pushpin. <laughs> and in my defense, it's European royalty, so it's not hmm. just that I'm dense looking at this. Hmm. That they're all French and German. <laughs> Hmm. He taught acting at Juilliard. He was brought up. I'm very confused also. I need to figure out a timeline for him on where he was brought up because it looks like he grew up in Paris, but spent his teenage years in the U.S. He was born here. They definitely moved to Paris for a while because that is where he decided to become an actor in the most charming story I've ever heard. At six years old, told to pretend to conduct his classmate's singing... When the performance was over, he took a bow, 
And knowing that he was not the conductor, realized he had been acting like the conductor and decided to become an actor. Aww. <laughs> Which is adorable. It too, is really adorable. Too cute. It fits. <laughs> too, too cute. It fits. <laughs> so I'm trying to think if we have anything else on Mulcahy or if we should move on to our next <laughs> do, 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 connection. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. John Shuck is in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and was he the original Star Trek? I'm assuming the original Star Trek, just because it's 1970 when this movie was made. Multiple. But oh, so uh, he he really likes the Star Trek then. <laughs> I mean, he was in multiple Altman things too. Oh, okay. So original Star Trek, and then one of the spinoffs. Which spinoff would be useful information? <laughs> is it Deep Space Nine? Do 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 do. I don't want to edit this out of order well he was on the enterprise tv series oh which i did not see i don't remember that but voyager he was on voyager one episode chorus in one episode he was also on babylon 5 which is not star trek but feels it deep space nine i was right okay oh sorry he played reptar in an episode of rugrats (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i love reptar Oh. <laughs> Honestly, I mostly knew him from being Pippi Longstocking's dad. <laughs> but our previous guest, Tom Taylor, mentioned getting to see him and Annie. And according to what I've read, he actually did shave his head for that. Nice. So he's the uh, guy who looks like us in safari gear in this minute? No, or which is guy is he? Captain Woldulski, the painless pole, oh, the camp stentist. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's one of those folks who just his face looks so familiar to me. So all well, of the it stuff al- you're saying. It stuff. also says he was in eight episodes of Law and Order Special Victims Unit, which is probably where I'm thinking, like, oh, yeah, that's why he looks familiar. Because <laughs> Chief of Detectives. Mm. Oh, well, now, now it's here where it's like, oh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, all laid out very nicely for me. Was he playing that. <laughs> uh, one different one character or a bunch of different characters? I think he was playing a bunch of different yeah, characters. Yeah, it was like different characters. All that I've seen so far, it's here, there, a little bit. I'm doing the thing with my shoulders. Um, <laughs> that we can't which see. Which doesn't work on a podcast. I know, right? doesn't work on a- he also comes up a Star Trek connection because of his first wife, Susan Bay, who then remarried and is now Susan Bay Nimoy. Oh, interesting. Uh, and my last bit of trivia that I had written down from is that he's a Boston boy. Yes! <laughs> I knew that would make you happy. <laughs> I'm only a little obsessed with Boston. Just just a wee bit. Just a wee bit. As Tyranny could tell you. <laughs> and that's when we meet Captain Black, the anesthesiologist, in his safari-ish garb. Yes. <laughs> so on the TV show, this is an Australian. Yes, I was really surprised when I heard him speak, and I was like, where, where's the accent? So I'm going to keep track of that. This, he's wearing, we've seen the Australian hat already back at the motor pool. Someone yeah. walked by and was wearing it. And so is that, that was to show, like, hey, it's not just American soldiers over here. Right. And that was a critique of the TV show of, like, why is there a random Australian anesthesiologist? <laughs> and is it just that... Carl Gottlieb thought it would be fun to wear this hat and embodied his, helped him get into character. 
And so they decided to make him Australian later? Yeah, I don't know. Mm. I need, like, Altman's notes or something. (laughs) John Black, captain, anesthesiologist, gas passer, whatever you want to call him, also (laughs) known as Ugly John, which is how he appears in all my notes because... Again, that's how he introduces himself. Played by Carl Gottlieb, who I thought was way more famous than it, he is according to his IMDb page. <laughs> I, I saw him introduce himself and I'm like, great, there's going to be so much info on this guy. We're going to have so much to talk about. And, and he's mostly famous as a writer and he has not been in nearly as much as I thought. Right. And I think he looks like a writer, too. He looks like a writer. Yeah, he looks a little bit like Rob Reiner, who I got to... Oh, I, yeah. I love Rob Reiner already, but got to know him, you know, intimately by doing Spinal Tap Minute, since he directed that. That sentence that went and somewhere very in differently in my mind, just so you know. <laughs> There's just enough of a pause. Right, yeah, I was like, I was like, intimately. I was like, has she met Robert Redford? What? <laughs> um, he, he does look a little... Well... And he's been in things that I saw. So in my mind, he was everywhere. But really, it's just he was in Jaws and Cannonball and and appeared on work. And, you know, things that I have seen. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, somebody can appear in just a few things. But if they're just right in your wheelhouse, they make a bigger impact. And that's what we found in Spinal Tap Minute, too, is that there'd be people that would be on the screen for one minute of the whole movie. <laughs> but you feel like they're in scenes you know Mm. but they're really just in these little iconic snippets but they do something so interesting with their face or say something just so funny that they they feel like this full fleshed out character so i could totally understand that i forget yes you are used to ensemble (laughs) (laughs) definitely those party scenes i'm just picturing like the party scenes where there would be because i'm sure all those people were real people you know what I mean. I know the real people. This isn't an Andy Circus thing, but uh, you know what I mean. Did Rob hey, Andy just call up his friends a, and Andy Circus like... is a real person? Too. You know what I mean. <laughs> Did Rob Ryder just like call up his Hollywood friends and say, "Hey, come to a party, and by the way, I'm gonna shoot it, and some guys will be there in character or something." Yeah, yeah. Actually, a couple of the party scenes, we did try to find out who the people in the background were, and there weren't really, like, celebrities or anything. But, yeah, we did kind of assume that they were in his circle of friends, Mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, if you're going to be famous and make movies... You might, and you might have well. a big party scene. I mean, that's just a gimme. <laughs> yeah, well, some people we found, too, were like, you know, maybe they're playing a groupie, but they're actually a direct, one of the woman, women was like a director in her own right. So, yeah, they had other people that were famous adjacent, I guess. <laughs> mm. Oh, I was recently listening to two guests on Star Wars Minute, and I feel awful that I'm blanking on their names. They were talking about going to the premiere of Star Wars movies in LA, like Ooh. hanging out with, uh, meeting Oscar Isaac and, you know, oh, across well, an aisle one of them One of them is married to Mark Hamill's son, so. That would do it. Yeah. That would get you in. <laughs> uh, but it was just, and I was listening to that as I'm walking across a literal sheet of ice. And the feels like is negative four degrees. And in my ear pods, before my phone literally shut itself off, it was so cold. The last thing I heard was her saying like, 
yeah, and I got to take a selfie with Oscar Isaac, and I'm just like, I hate you so much right now. I don't <laughs> even know you, but I hate you. You were so warm in L.A. <laughs> and then I got the mamas and the papas stuck in my head, and it was real sad. Oh, yeah. Arctic there's blast. No, there's nothing sadder than, like, doing the across ice waddle in your bean boots while humming California <laughs> Dreaming to Yourself. <laughs> No, you can't start crying because it will freeze. <laughs> it will. It will freeze. It will. Oh. Anyway, this is gonna come out in summer. It'll be fantastic. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> we'll totally have forgotten all about Arctic blasts. What? What's that? It'll be amazing. It'll be amazing. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Heidi. We just had to take a minute and like imagine being warm. <laughs> no problem. Um. <laughs> <sighs> Why do I live in New England again? Anyway. <laughs> So the last person who comes over and introduces himself is Captain Bardini, another surgeon. He is played by Corey Fisher. And one of the ways that I confirmed, okay, yeah, this is the person, as opposed to just listening to it, not with the closed captioning and hearing him say Bardini, is that (laughs) I was looking at their IMDb pictures. And it's very confusing because Corey Fisher was one of the few people to be on the TV show and the movie. Mm. But he looks so different on the TV show. He only appeared, I think, in the one episode. But he's one of the doctors who plays guitar and is blatantly stoned, although they didn't address that on the TV show. Mm. But there, he doesn't have glasses. He doesn't have a beard. He has a beard, which he doesn't hear. I don't know if in his mind he's just playing a different person or what if it didn't matter it was such a quick part but because that was the first thing that came up and it said mash i was like oh this doesn't this doesn't look like the right guy but then when i looked up the other person who i thought it might be who is played by danny goldman i was like no no no, it's got to be him it's got to be him and what i love is the first picture that comes up on danny goldman for imdb is Mm -hmm. him and young frankenstein and jeff maxwell's in the picture and is tagged in it oh there's mash everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> you can't escape was in the TV show for anyone who's only seen the movie and not the TV show. <laughs> Those people might exist. They might. Maybe. But yeah, I was really confused. There's like Danny Goldman and Jeff Maxwell. What the heck? And then I saw him like, oh, Igor, I see you. So if we keep podcasting and get to the TV show and Igor in, right. you know, two decades. Right, right, right. We'll see right, it's all good. I'm uh, just scanning really quickly to see if there's anything else about Corey Fisher, but I think he was just, he was part of the San Francisco guys, it looks like. Oh, well, LA, but. Infamously, Robert Altman went to, like, an improv theater and said, Give me all you got. Gotcha. <laughs> and took him to be in the movie. <laughs> huh, interesting. So I was wondering if he was part of that gang, possibly. Hmm. Because he did do other. Didn't he? Isn't he one of the ones that did other Altman things? Um, yeah, McCabe and Mrs. Miller comes up on his oh. you know, known for, so he at least did that. I just feel so much better feeling more confident in that. I'm so glad I heard him say Bartini. <laughs> <laughs> because you start to feel crazy. Well, there's just so much talking going on in this minute that, you know. Well, and sometimes people in the movie call people by the wrong name this is like true. just flat out Houlihan's name literally changes it is a whole leah leah thing going on <laughs> and so that <sighs> doesn't help that doesn't help 
And then we all know Radar. We we know Gary. We, we love Gary. Our bud. But he introduces himself to Hawkeye and Duke here. And I just really love, I don't know that I ever put together until I saw the camera so close on their two faces. And I was looking at Blake's glasses because they're a little similar but darker than mine. And I was like, look at them both with their glasses. I just... <laughs> Now that I've said that out loud, I feel crazy and like I might cut that. But it was it was a moment where I was like, look at look at Radar and Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Radar's a lot different in this movie that compared to like the television show too. Oh, I mean over time, the TV show in mm-hmm. general, not like the first season or so. But he's like really with it, and then in the TV show, he's kind of like naive. Which <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, and what frustrates me is the radar of the TV pilot in those very early episodes was still very much a young kid. Oh, definitely. But he's not... And I wouldn't even buy that he had a teddy bear that he didn't want to leave behind. But it's the fact that in the pilot we see him smoking cigars and, you know... Yeah, I know. Sneaking scotch out of Henry's liquor cabinet. And then later it's like, a cigar, sir? I couldn't possibly... I know. It's like, yeah... (laughs) all right so i never thought i would be making this comparison but But, reader o'reilly is the chandler bing of mash because chandler on friends changed once they paired him up with monica i guess spoilers for friends um (laughs) which i had no problem with him getting with monica i actually really liked that relationship and there was a lot of comedic possibility in that dynamic because she absolutely was the dominant figure however they retroactively changed his character, and it bo- it always rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, first of all, it rubbed me the wrong way because it's a horrible sexist stereotype. But <laughs> the fact that they changed things, like, oh, now Chandler doesn't know about sports. And I'm like, he was going to Rangers games in the first seasons, guys. I distinctly remember this. And that's kind of what they did with Radar. I yeah. mean, he, he could be a naive person who falls for scams and doesn't have a lot of experience in the world. And still, like, want to flirt with girls. He doesn't have to be good at it. Right. And, you know, enjoy a... A cigar or a drink every once in a while, you know? But I don't want him to enjoy a beer because I love Grape Knee High so much. And it is purely because of him. (laughs) (laughs) I never would have sought out Grape Knee High. No! I was going to say, we didn't have Grape Knee High at your birthday party. No, no, we didn't. You didn't oh, go on the, absolutely did. You didn't you didn't go on the internet to find that stuff. No, no, of course oh, not. Oh, I ordered it on the internet. An entire case. <laughs> you did. Of grape knee high. True story. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Megan, I'm not the one who discovered you can put vodka in grape knee high, so I would be careful making fun of me for uh, that party. I'm, just, I'm not making fun of you for that party. I went out and okay. bought a dress for that party. Like <laughs> I made sure I looked like a mash kind of nurse going on. It's all good. Heidi, my 30th birthday party was MASH-themed, and it was fantastic. It sounds like it. <laughs> and eventually, in our plastic martini glasses, you know, the kind you clip the stem in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't clip it, yeah. We, uh, Megan and I had imbibed, <laughs> and we're making French toast because all the food was also for MASH episodes, <laughs> and there's an episode where Hawkeye makes French toast. But we didn't want to make that too far in advance of the party because French toast doesn't really keep, No, it, you know? it doesn't keep well. But we didn't think through that by the time I went to make French toast, I would maybe not be 
the person who should be making French toast. And so Megan helped me. And one of my best memories of that apartment is us in the tiniest galley kitchen. Oh my God, that was the tiniest galley kitchen ever. Like, wasn't wasn't something like if you had the oven open, you couldn't even open the fridge? Or you could only open it a certain way or something? Your fridge only opened a certain way anyway. My fridge was installed backwards against the wall so that you could... didn't open the way it looked like it should open. And it was the dishwasher that was... Oh, it was the dishwasher. They went, they went in the same place. <laughs> Pretty much. No, the uh, the oven, you couldn't lower the door all the way because of oh, that's uh, right. support beam. That's right. <laughs> and we were... How many sheets to the wind can you be? Oh, God. Anyway, we made French toast. It was an experience. <laughs> I've enjoyed this tangent down memory lane. Oh. I'm smiling very big right now. a little bit of a look at Blake's hat which is almost like an Adventures of Pete and Pete hat but it's not thank you for saying that because there was something about that hat that seemed familiar and I couldn't put my finger on it but yeah it's kind of a Pete and Pete hat with with the little Captain uh, Major Laurel on it just Colonel Colonel sorry (laughs) I am so sleep deprived it's not even funny guys it's okay it's okay the minute's almost over (laughs) it's almost over does anyone have anything else before the big act? Heidi, this is your last chance, and you've just met Gary Berghoff, and now we're whisking you away. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's, I feel like getting whisked away at this moment is sort of exciting. It's on an upswing where we're getting a fresh infusion of all these interesting characters. But the minute ends so perfectly. <laughs> it's a really great ending. It kind of cuts him off saying change the numbers on that Jeep, but, but I mean, it's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the best gags. Although I always expect all of these gags to have a gong after them. <laughs> oh my God. From, oh, yeah. From the trailer. and But they actually are pretty restrained. But yes, here we get. And, and this is another perfect example <laughs> of... Radar is young. Radar is the corporal, but he knows what's going on and he is on top of things. He's totally on top of things because he's Radar. He knows what's going on. And I do love the trusting of the fact that literally everything they have with them, other than the clothes on their backs, is just sitting in that Jeep out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, they just showed up. They're, they're going to stay for a while. More than likely. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> It'd be a short movie. It'd be a short movie if they did it. <laughs> Yeah, and it's kind of like, I mean, maybe because I'd seen the TV show too, but when he says, oh, change the numbers on the Jeep, and oh, yeah, change the numbers on that Jeep, it's kind of like the first, I feel like the first glimpse we have of Henry Blake, like, being military, but not totally being military. Like, he's more military than Hawkeye is to a certain degree, and and Duke, but, at least in appearance, but. (laughs) Well, I do love that he But But he's not as as much as some other characters will shortly be encountering. of this mash unit. Yes. And I do love that he's like, oh, look at those guys. They've got some, we're expecting sharp surgeons. And he's wearing fishing lures. I know, right? Non-uniform cap. That's non-uniform cap. <laughs> so I do think Colonel Blake is a great example of a character who is completely conveyed to you in, like, 
one sentence on the way he looks. Yeah, that's true. He's just sort and, of, he's just Henry Blake. usually if you get that, it's a very shallow characterization. Like, oh, and this is, here's this person and here's their thing. Okay, that's all you need. You saw them, they said one thing. But I do feel like this little introduction, it pays off more the more we get to know Henry. <laughs> Now, Heidi, you said you were much more familiar with the TV show to the movie. Yes. Do, I do don't... you have, like, specific feelings like, oh, I really like this character here better than there or anything like that? <laughs> you know, I don't think I actually ever saw the movie once you sent me the minutes. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where it has been around so long that you recognize it. You know, you can see a still from that movie and go, oh, that's MASH, you know. But I don't think I ever saw it. So I don't have a huge, yeah, I don't really have a, a, a contrasting um, knowledge between the two, you know, the differences and the characters and such. <laughs> just just Captain Odo. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a Star Trek minute. <laughs> For people who felt misled by my introduction and got really excited and then really sad. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with us yeah, <laughs> through thanks. this entire episode, <laughs> if that's the case. But there is a Star Trek Minute. I do love that they recently, oh, I forget which movie it is, but their tagline was, it's the one with the whales. Oh, yes! Because <laughs> I knew that's all anyone would remember it as. Yeah, uh, literally, I can't even, I remember seeing that, and I can't remember what it's called, just, it had the whales. Uh, I've only seen the new movies, so, and the old TV show has been very sporadic. <laughs> I I am literally the next generation. <laughs> oh, Voyage <laughs> so, Home. Voyage Home has, Voyage Home. Vo- 1986. Why it has whales, I don't remember. Wait. Because it does. I'm going to have to think about this, because in Fantasia 2000... There are whales literally voyaging home. <laughs> oh. And I now really want to know if that's an inside joke that just got taken way too far. And actually, because, you know, animation, a lot goes into that. <laughs> but that can be found, I'm sure, just by Googling Star Trek Minute, but also on the moviesbyminutes.com page, which has links to most, if not all. They try and keep up, but there are just more and more podcasts coming out every day. Thank you for listening to ours because, goodness, I know we all have a bunch. And Heidi, you mentioned Spinal Tap Minute, which is completed, and uh, Cabin is completed too, right? Yeah, so I did Spinal Tap Minute with Sean German, and then Molly Balin and I did Cabin Minute Cast, which is for the Cabin in the Woods, and that was, yeah, just at cabinminutecast.com. Yeah. And I know you're being kept busy these days with Vibrant Visionaries. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I've got a stack of editing to do. As soon as we wrap up here, I'm going to be diving back into an episode that's almost done being um, edited. And then actually Molly and I recorded a very special episode last night, which, you know, by the time these minutes come out, it will be in the past. But right now <laughs> it's in my future that I'll be releasing it. <laughs> So, yeah, I actually got to tie those two together. I got to talk with the production designer for The Cabin in the Woods and for Bad Times at the El Royale, and his name's Martin Whist. So that's one of the episodes. And uh, Molly and I, we talk on Vibrant Visionaries 
you know, this is after wrapping on doing Cabin Minute Cast. We spoke yesterday and recorded it as a podcast, uh, a conversation in response to a recent essay that came out that was about millennials being the burnout generation. And it kind of got a lot of buzz and a lot of my clients were actually saying, hey, I really relate to this article. I'd like to talk about it with you. And my husband said he thought it was really interesting and um, Molly also did. And, and the three of us aren't millennials, we're, but we all still connected to that article. So yeah, um, the episode that Molly and I recorded, we're just sort of talking about what we thought about this essay and about burnout and then the number one thing we wanted to do with it was to say, we relate, we understand, and then here's some free resources and ideas for how to combat burnout that aren't, you know, signing up for a an expensive yoga retreat or something like that, you know, <laughs> but real like boots on the ground, free ways to be compassionate to ourselves and, and de-stress from burnout. So that'll be um, a podcast that's going to be available by the time everybody listens to this one. <laughs> and it'll be, <laughs> I think, episode 15 or 16. I'm not sure. A Vibrant Visionary. So yeah, all those will be at vibrantvisionaries.com. Nice. Well, check it out and come back to check us out. No, I just, I'm going to really quickly say, I don't think you need to be a millennial to relate to that essay. Yeah. I think it's just a condition of being alive in this day and age. Totally agree. Uh, Yeah. Maybe that will be a little bit better by this summer when this episode's coming out. (laughs) Just in case. Hang in there. Yeah, I, I think... It's something that they've been addressing on The Good Place, the TV show, which is talking about the afterlife and how points work. You earn points for doing good things. You lose points for doing bad things. But one thing that they've gotten into as the show has gone on is how can you control that? You know, if you do something good, you do a nice thing for someone but it involved mailing something. Well, now you've done cargo freight. Well, now an airplane has polluted the earth and (laughs) you took your friend out for coffee, but you didn't have a reusable coffee mug. So that's actually negative points because now a turtle is going to, and it just, it's one of those things where it's like, the world is complicated. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's all we got. We're working on it. (laughs) Exactly. And that is what, you know, we address that and and using something like the good place is a perfect example you know I talked about how these examples in pop culture that help us contextualize that things are complicated and it can feel really overwhelming to try to do good as the you know example mm-hmm. you gave so it's really an opportunity for us to be even kinder to ourselves realize that we are not responsible for saving the world and being perfect and optimizing ourselves constantly to be these perfect futuristic amazing machines and and I mean like let's go back to Star Trek Star Trek (laughs) they use those examples over and over again and Gene Roddenberry was very much a lover of humans and the human condition and being a humanist himself recognizing the foibles the flaws and and to try to do good out into the you know the world of Star Trek was complicated and there were a lot of questions that came up and even those 
those of us all with our best intentions and trying to do our best, it just, it gets to be overwhelming. So the number one thing I think to take away or to remember is to just be kind to yourself. Don't beat yourself up for this that, and that we're all going through it. It's not you alone. You know, we're all <laughs> struggling <laughs> through these times. So the kinder we can be to ourselves and to others, the better for sure. It's almost like how people get to know each other really well when they're thrust into a crazy situation. Like, say you're eating in a mess tent, and all of a sudden you notice your colonel is talking to two new people, and he's mm. called over the priest to say hello. Maybe you should join them and meet these people. <laughs> <laughs> I, so much of MASH is just the story of people trying to survive, and it's obviously a much more extreme example than yeah, everyday life in the 21st century. Yeah. But it is a more concentrated example of we're all in this together. Yeah, We're totally. Just, we just totally. got to get through this. And unfortunately, they get through this by being immature and pulling pranks on each other. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, it's a much better movie. It's a very good <laughs> it's a very good coping mechanism is to be silly and goofy and and <laughs> you know, bring that levity by bringing a lot of humor. And that's vital, you know. I think mm. we get really serious about this is happening politically. This is happening to everybody in the world. This is happening. That is happening. And it's like, yeah, that is all happening and it is all very important. But this is also your life. <laughs> and if we get all mired in only looking at the horrible things that we have oftentimes very little control over, then it's just going to be miserable. But if we can embark on fun, silly, goofy things like doing podcasts together or just <laughs> being silly or sharing and watching goofy television shows together or just not taking things quite so seriously, the, then we get to enjoy our days, you know, and have <laughs> fun. And that that is vital. And so, yeah, something like this is a good example of that for sure. I love analyzing movies one minute at a time, and I'll be back to analyze minute 12. <laughs> I hope, Megan, you will be as well. Yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> Excellent. We'll see you on the next episode of MASH Minute. Bye. Bye. Bye.